0: You to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, passage we've already read this morning, but we'll be looking back there and unpacking those verses in just a few minutes. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 38, I believe it was. Luke 21, 3, 21 to 38, the end of the chapter there in Luke 3. All right. So let's talk about uh, your work for just a second. How many of you are in a position of hiring employees for your company? Probably that means you get to fire them too, but we're not talking about the firing part today. How many of you are in a position to hire employees? You, you're self-employed, if you work for a company where you are in that position? Raise your hand high. All right, because I just need to kind of know who I'm talking to you throughout this message. Okay, good deal. All right, so many of you, several of you in that place. Would you all agree, those, those of you hiring experts now that I'm talking to, would you all agree that for whatever job you're hiring, you start with a list of basic qualifications, right? In other words, if the person doesn't meet, the applicant doesn't meet some basic qualifications, then you don't even consider him or her, right? Everybody in agreement with that? You experts, hiring experts, where, where'd you go? Now you're not answering. You're just staring there, staring at me. If you raised your hand, now you have to shake your head. So are we in agreement? Makes sense, right? So, so, and, and you know, different jobs require, have different qualifications. Not every one of you in the room, as you went to hire someone, would have the same uh, qualification level, right? For some of you, I mean, basically you need a warm body and the ability to move and pick up stuff, and, and do manual labor. For others of you, you they're going to need to have a, uh, at least a high school education. For some of you, maybe a college-level education. For some of you, I'm looking at a nurse up here, she, they're going to have to have a nursing degree, plain and simple. There's no nursing degree, right, Christy? There's no nursing degree in your realm. There's no hire, right? Because it's not qualified. It's a nursing job. Just for kicks, check out these statements from actual resumes. And you, you, you hiring experts, imagine getting this, seeing this on a job application or a resume. Under the qualifications line on a, on a, on a resume, this person actually, put, somebody actually wrote, I was wholly responsible for two failed financial institutions. Someone wrote, I intentionally omit my salary history. I've made money and I've lost money. I've been rich and I've been poor. I prefer being rich. One guy said, I'm a man filled with passion and integrity. I can act on short notice. I'm a class act and do not come cheap. People are crazy. One person attached a note to his resume saying, please do not misconstrue my 14 jobs as, quote, job hopping. I have never quit a job in my life. Oh, there's this answer on an application question asking about the the reason for leaving their last position. One person answered, my supervisor expected everyone in the office no later than 8.45 a.m. I refused to work under those circumstances. A prospective employer needs to be able to contact an applicant, right? One guy wrote, I'm loyal to my employer at all costs. Please feel free to contact me on my office voicemail. Some of you will get that at lunch, but you know, none of these folks would make the cut for any of you guys, right? Those of you who raised the hand, I mean, I mean, if you saw this stuff on, I mean, you're done, right? Bottom of the barrel, in fact, round file that puppy, right? Because you want qualified applicants. And in this case, you want somebody that's at least got common sense enough not to put something stupid on their resume or their application. You need to know that the person you're going to hire is qualified. As we continue this morning through our study of Luke's gospel, we come to a section where Luke wants Theophilus. You'll remember the first four verses of the, of the gospel, Luke 1 verses 1 through 4. Luke writes to Theophilus and he said, Theophilus, I'm fixing to give you an orderly count so that you can know and be certain of the things you've been taught specifically about Jesus. Luke wants Theophilus and all of us to be assured that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is more than qualified to be our Savior. Now, there's quite a difference between hiring an employee for a job in your company and finding a Savior for your soul. Amen? You might make a bad hire and and, and your company survive. Everything, everything actually be okay because you can fire that joker pretty quick, can't you? But if there's only one Savior sent from God and you refuse to trust Him, then the Bible makes it clear your soul's eternity will be everlasting destruction and torment under the just and holy wrath of a holy, holy, holy God, and yet a God who's been merciful enough to send a Savior. I want to talk to you this morning. I want to answer this question. Is Jesus qualified to be our Savior? Is Jesus qualified to be our Savior? I believe that's the question Luke is trying to answer in the section we're going to consider today that we've already read, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to to, to 38. By the way, it's also the question he's answering as we move into chapter 4 where we see the temptation of Christ, where he proves himself through the temptation by the devil there in the wilderness. We'll look more at that last week. But is Jesus qualified to be our Savior? Here's the take home truth and the answer that I see from this text. Jesus is the only one qualified to be both, to be the Savior of the world because He is both fully God and fully man. Is Jesus qualified to be our Savior? Jesus is the only one qualified to be the Savior of the world because he is both fully God and fully man. Jesus is, first of all, notice with me in verses 21 and 22, here in these two verses, in this account of the baptism of Christ, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. First of all, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. Now, when all the people were baptized, and again, this is talking about the ministry of John the Baptist there in the wilderness as he was baptizing and, and calling people to turn from sin, repent, and, and be baptized and turn toward the Messiah who was already on the scene and just not made, been made public yet. Here is when Jesus goes public. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying... The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well. Please. John MacArthur says this is one of those great portions of Scripture where the Trinity is indicated. You have the Son of God being baptized, the Spirit of God descending on him, and the Father speaking out of heaven. There they are, the three persons of the Trinity, all in this. these two verses. By the way, this is a great passage to use with those cults around our community that would deny the Trinity. They would say that, that there is not three persons in the Trinity, that Jesus is not one of the Godhead, that some some may deny the Holy Spirit and so forth. This is a great passage to come to because Jesus, the Son of God, is declared to be the Son of God by the Father... And attested to by the, by the the coming down of the Holy Spirit, even in the form of a dove. So what an awesome scene. There Jesus is being baptized. The text says he was praying. Some have suggested perhaps what he was praying was that he, that the Spirit would come. That the Spirit would come upon him. Now, does this mean that before his baptism, Jesus didn't have the Spirit of God? Probably not, right? In fact, almost absolutely not. But this was a public demonstration as as his ministry begins, a a public demonstration, a public declaration of God the three-in-one to the world. This is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The Spirit comes down and attests to that, and the Father says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. You know, you'd think that if anybody was standing there that day, they'd have got that deal that that would have been crystal clear. Not only do you hear a voice from heaven, the, the 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 heaven's thunder and and God speaks and says, "This is my son." Son, I'm pleased, well pleased with you. And I just imagine that it kind of had to shake the whole area, didn't it? God speaking. But then there's something not just to hear but to see God manifest himself by the the, the this this might not have necessarily been an actual dove, but it was something that, that looked like a dove. The this, this Spirit comes in a, in a form that was visible and lights on Jesus. Now, that's all I got. I don't know exactly what that means, exactly what that was or how that looked. But what I know is God gave something they could not just hear but see to declare Jesus to be his son. And yet, so many still rejected him. This is all Luke says about the baptism of Jesus, but there's two other there's, there's an account of Jesus' baptism in all four gospels. Mark, probably someone who Luke had consulted for some historical data on his gospel. Mark's is probably the shortest we won 't even take time to read it there from, from Mark chapter one, but, but I do want to look at Matthew and John real quick as we think about the baptism of Jesus and the fact that through the baptism of Jesus Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. Matthew three verses thirteen to seventeen it's on the screen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So Jesus comes walking up. Some scholars believe that perhaps these two now men, John and and Jesus, had not seen each other during their adult lives. We know that their mothers visited, right, before their birth. We know their mothers had a visit. Luke chapter 1 records that. But in this moment, John recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. Did Jesus come up and tell him what happened? Well, we're going to get a little bit more of that as we go through, so just pay attention. But he recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. He recognized Jesus to be one that he himself needed as a Savior. And he says, you're wanting me to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. Verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus said that, the text says, then he, John, consented. Now, what does Jesus mean here? Why did Jesus need to be baptized to, as it says, fulfill all righteousness? What do these words mean? Well, we clearly know that Jesus doesn't mean that he lacked righteousness. That he was unrighteous or didn't have enough righteousness and that somehow this baptism would make up the difference or undo any unrighteousness. There was no unrighteousness in him. He means that he is obeying for us all what God demands of us, which in this case is the baptism of repentance, acknowledging our sin and turning to God for forgiveness through Messiah. So here Jesus, though he's sinless, as we'll see in a minute, spelled out very clearly, is identifying with us as sinners and obeying for us and acknowledging our need to turn from sin and to him. This was the statement he was making in his baptism in that day. Verse 16 goes on, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we see some parallels between Luke's account and this, but there's some other things added there and, 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 and included there in Matthew's account that we didn't see in Luke. Over in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says that the next day, speaking of John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus learned, as we're going to see, through the baptism of Jesus, exactly and for sure who Jesus was text goes on, this is he, John the Baptist says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, the guy that's coming next, he's of a higher rank because he's been around way before me. In fact, he's eternal. He's the eternal son of the living God incarnate. Verse 31, I myself, this is interesting, I myself did not know him But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So God had this deal planned that that I would begin baptizing, the baptism of repentance. I would begin my ministry and that as part of that, Jesus would show up in the middle of that. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself, listen to this, did not know him, but he who sent me, who was that? God the Father, he who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, John the Baptist said, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so apparently, maybe John didn't recognize Jesus until he was baptizing him. Until in the middle of his baptism, the Spirit starts descending, and and God had already had a conversation with John the Baptist and said, when you see the Spirit come down, I mean, hello. (laughs) Reckon? That's the guy. He's the Messiah. He's the one your whole ministry has been pointing to. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the only Son of God. Jesus is here through the baptism of Jesus declared to be the Son of God. And understand, it is important if Jesus is going to be qualified to be our Savior, that He be the Son of God, that He be God, fully God. Hebrews unpacks this for us in Hebrews 9. You don't have to turn there. You can look on the screen or feel free to flip over to Hebrews 9. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Why is it important that Jesus be the Son of God? Why is that a necessary qualification for the one who would be the Savior of the world. But when Christ appeared, it says in verse 11 of Hebrews 9, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent that is not uh, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but of by means of his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. In other words, the author of Hebrews says, look, all the, the, the sacrifices and, and all the priesthood of the Old Testament, the rep- repetitive sacrifices of, uh, of, 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 of uh, sheep and, and goats and bulls and all the animals and, and, and all the different priests that would go in and offer sacrifices for sin in that earthly temple, Jesus, Jesus offered a sacrifice in the heavenly Holy of Holies not with the blood of animals, but with His own blood and secured an eternal redemption. 4, verse 13, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if those Old Testament sacrifices and, 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 and rituals sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 26, skipping down, says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In summary, here's here's what those verses in Hebrews 9 are saying. God required a sinless sacrifice and an all-powerful rescuer And he sent us the perfect person in Jesus. God required that if we would have a qualified, an adequate, a a true Savior, then that Savior had to be fully God. A sinless sacrifice and an all-powerful rescuer. Nobody qualifies except Jesus. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in and through his baptism. Jesus would become that once for all, that last and and everlasting sacrifice for the sins of the world. He would indeed be the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb, to be repeated, but the Lamb, to finish it off, who takes away the sins of the world. And through the eternal Spirit, even as the Son of God, he offered himself without blemish to God. And in so doing, He pur- purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In so doing, once for all, at the end of the ages, He has put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. You see, for Jesus to be qualified as our Savior, He had to be God. Because only God can pull off the sacrifice required to 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 propitiate the wrath of God. If you will, God the Son saved us from the wrath of God the Father, all according to the plan of God the Father, by the power of God the Spirit. Amen? What a beautiful salvation is ours. Jesus is the only one qualified to be the Savior of the world because he is both fully God and, as we're going to see now, fully man. Jesus is declared here in this text to be the Son of God. But secondly, notice with me, Jesus is demonstrated to be the Son of and the second Adam. This is where the genealogy comes in. Now we're going to read... Everybody just chill out because I know you don't want to hear those 77 names again any more than I want to read those 77 names again, so we're not. We're going to read verse 23 and verse 38. Verse 23 says... Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, and so forth and so on. Verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this genealogy. We will, if you choose to join us on Wednesday evening at 6.30 in our See For Yourself Bible study. We will look at this in more detail on uh, at that time, but, but let me just boil it down. Jesus is demonstrated here. What, what this genealogy is about is this statement. Jesus is demonstrated to be the son of God and the se- the son of, excuse me, Jesus is demonstrated to be the son of and the second Adam. The son of Adam, the second Adam. Let me boil it down. Matthew gives Jesus genealogy a lot of j sounds here let me try that again Matthew gives us Jesus genealogy to begin his gospel if you were to flip back to Matthew 1 it's the first thing you come to is the genealogy of Jesus and what's interesting in that genealogy is Matthew starts in the past with Abraham and he walks forward to Jesus he starts with Abraham and he comes down the family tree to Jesus Luke, on the other hand, records Jesus' genealogy here in chapter three, not right at the beginning, and and he begins rather with Jesus, right? The opposite of Matthew, he begins with Jesus and works backwards. Notice not just to Abraham, but all the way back to Adam. Interesting. the 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 The, the genealogies are are exactly alike from 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 Abraham back to uh, uh, excuse me from David to Abraham. But here Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Why? Well, you'll remember the purpose of Luke's book is to convince a Roman nobleman named Theophilus and all of us as Gentiles that Jesus has come not just to be the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of the world, all nations. And so Luke includes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam because in so doing... Adam was the first man, and he includes every nation that has grown out of the loins of Adam. Amen? You see it? Catch that? Jesus is demonstrated to be the son of and the second Adam. John MacArthur says, so Matthew carries the genealogy of Joseph back and through David to Abraham. For Luke, the concern was to emphasize that Jesus was actually, truly, and humanly only the son of Mary. He wasn't really the son of Joseph, was he? He was the son of Mary, and according to Luke 1 and 2, the son of God. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, that Christmas passage says, right? The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. And what's conceived in you will be from God, he told Mary. And so Luke traces back the bloodline through Mary. And this is where you just have to trust me. You just have to trust people like John MacArthur because we don't have time to go into it. We believe this to be Mary's genealogy. And we believe Healy to be Mary's dad, Jesus' grandfather on Mary's side most likely. And so he traces the bloodline back to David, back to Abraham, back to Adam, and finally back to God himself as creator of all. Luke has a more universal approach in his gospel, and he wants to show how the Messiah links with all of humanity. And so Jesus is demonstrated here to be not just the Son of God, but to be fully man and be the son of and second Adam. In his baptism, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God, fully God, God incarnate. But in this genealogy that Luke provides, we see Jesus to be demonstrated by his bloodline to be the son of and the second Adam. It's not even significant that he goes all the way back to Adam. It's an important concept that we understand Jesus is the second Adam. How many of you were here for our study or at any point along our year's worth of study in the book of Romans? How many of you remember us talking about Jesus is the second Adam, right? Romans chapter 5. Let's look there just briefly in verse 15 where Paul says, but the free gift, this is contrasting the condemnation that came to all men through Adam and the salvation that come to all believers through that comes to all believers through Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, who is the one man? Adam. What's, what's Paul saying? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of humanity was cursed by God. Every, everyone born after Adam was born a sinner under the condemnation of God because of Adam's sin. They inherited Adam's sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. If what Adam did affected those who were in his line forever thereafter... How much more the very son of God himself, if he took care of the salvation of all who will ever believe, for those who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more solid is his work in in relation to those who would come behind him than that of Adam? I mean, he's the son of God. Adam was just a man. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Listen, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Think about that. What's he saying? Those two things aren't alike. Adam sinned. All were born under the judgment of God. And that's, that, listen, that's complete justice. God held the whole race accountable in Adam. He failed the test. He sinned. And so all the race was cursed. Sin deserves God's wrath. Amen? He's holy. Sin deserves God's justice. But, but, but notice the trespass of Adam is not like the free gift of Jesus. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. This doesn't make sense. This is upside down. One sin condemned the whole race. After centuries of sin, listen to me, after centuries of sin, the work of Jesus Christ took all of those sins and presents back to you and me the world full of sinners, justification as a gift. Do what? We call that grace. Because what a bunch of sins should have gotten was the wrath of Almighty God. If one sin got the wrath and condemnation of God, then centuries of sin should have just made God's wrath all the more furious and big and certain. And yet the God of, who is holy and full of justice, the God of, of, of wrath towards sin is also the God who sent His Son to live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and, and on that cross bear in his own body on that tree the punishment for our sin, to be the propitiation for all of our sins, to fully satisfy God's wrath and justice toward my sin so that he could look at me and as a just and holy God still declare a sinner like me righteous. Not on my own, not in my own self, but in the merit, through the merits of Jesus Christ because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because the payment made, because the life lived, because the resurrection victory declared, He could declare me to be righteous. For if, because of one man's trespass, verse 17, death reigned through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What a salvation is ours. Jesus came to undo what Adam did, to be the second Adam and give grace and ra- righteousness and justification as gifts to all who would trust in Him. That's why Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. And also verses 14 talks this way. But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's what he did. He became our substitute. He became a man like us, fully human, so that he could taste death for us. And take death and the curse and wrath of God for us so that He could turn around and justly give us forgiveness and righteousness and justification. Verse 14 of Hebrews 2 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's me and you. We got bodies, we live in flesh and blood, we're human. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He was fully man, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's the way people live without Jesus. That's the way you live before you came to trust Jesus, if you know him today. We live in a slavery to fear because we are under the curse and wrath of God. And whether we deny His existence and try to be an atheist or not, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Every one of us knows there is a holy God who created all things and sustains all things. And we just simply refuse Him, but we still know. We live in fear. For surely it is not angels that he, Jesus, helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, those who have faith, those who look to God as Messiah as the Savior. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to become a man so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Man, that's, that's wow. We could spend some time there. I get excited every time I read these passages. Because what these verses in Hebrews tell me is this. Jesus is 100% qualified to be my Savior. I don't have to wonder if he paid it all, if it worked, if it really is finished like he said it was. It's done. How do I know? How can I be sure? Well, we've already seen Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. He had to be fully God, and he was. But here we see Jesus demonstrated to be the Son of and the second Adam. He was fully man. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Listen, the only way he could take my place... The only way he could be my substitute, if he was, is if he was fully human, as if he as if he was subjected to sin and temptation just like I was. Except he never sinned. The scriptures make it clear. But he knows what it's to be, like, what, it, what it is to walk in our shoes. He has walked on this earth as a man. Now you say, how is he fully God and fully man? I don't know how. Yeah. Good luck with that. We don't fully understand. We can't fully comprehend the mystery of the incarnation, and yet we must cling to the mystery of the incarnation because it is the hope for our souls. He had to be, if he's going to be a qualified Savior, he had to be fully God and fully man, and he indeed was. God required that the Savior be one who shared in our humanity so that he could be a true substitute for us, and because of that, we can know that He understands when we're being tempted, and He can help when we're being tempted, because He was, as we'll see next week in Luke four, tempted. Hebrews four fifteen puts it this way: We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. By the way, that's an extra. That's just like a little bonus thrown in there. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus is a sufficient and qualified Savior because he was fully human. You know what that's talking about? It's not talking about him being qualified as a Savior. That's being him talking about being a sympathetic and a compassionate high priest. He's not just qualified. He doesn't just get the job done for us. He understands our daily lives as, as followers of Jesus. He understands our daily struggles with sin, and he's there to help us. You don't just have a sufficient high priest, you have a sympathetic high priest. Is Jesus qualified? (laughs) Absolutely. Is he qualified to be your Savior? Is he qualified to be the Savior of the world? Absolutely. The baptism and genealogy of Jesus that Luke gives us prove that Jesus, in fact, is the only qualified, the only one qualified to be the Savior of the world because he is both Fully God and fully man. And as such, he was the perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute, the perfect rescuer. He was everything you could ever need in a Savior. His rescue is eternal. Because he didn't just die, he rose. By the way, a dead Savior would have been no Savior, right? Just a dead man who did some neat stuff till he died. But he rose and he lives. And that means, as Hebrews says in another place, he can save us, listen to me, to the uttermost. What does that mean? That means all the way through eternity. How long is that? Forever. There'll never be a time he's not able, he's not got you covered, that he lets you go, that that somehow his grace runs out. No, because he lives forever. He, He rose and he lives forever. He's able to save you to the uttermost. Through all the stumbling, stumbling and, and failure of this life, there's grace for that. But for the eons of ages that we can't even imagine, there is grace eternal in Him. I hope y'all aren't asleep, but let me just tell you something. This is shouting ground and y'all ain't shouting. Is Jesus qualified? Absolutely. And he's the only one that is. If you're here today and you've never come to Jesus as, for, as your Savior, if you've never trusted the Savior sent from God the Father to be your rescuer, to give you righteousness, to, 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 to pay the price for your, all of your sins, to, to take you from being an enemy of God to being a son or daughter of God, then today's the day of so Right now, you can you can meet him. You can leave this place confident in a qualified savior and able to go home tonight and on your even on your drive home be able to say father and know that the god of the universe heard you not because of who you are not because of what you've done not because of who you aren't or who what you haven't done but because of everything jesus is and everything he's done and you can know there'll never be a moment when you can't whisper the word Father and God Almighty, that the creator and sustainer of all things hears you and calls you son, calls you daughter. There'll never be a moment in your life when, when you aren't... There doesn't have to be a moment in your life. Sometimes we do doubt. Sometimes even as believers we wonder. But the point is God will have you in his hand. You'll be in his grip of grace. The Son of God will wrap his hands around you. You'll be in a double grip of grace, the grace of the Father and the grace of the Son together holding you. You won't be able to be torn no matter by your own sin or the attempts of anyone to hurt you. Nobody can take you out of that grace lock. Amen? You want to know him today? Is that you? Let me tell you what these these people all across this room want more than anything. We, along with the Father in heaven, want you to trust Jesus right now. As the worship team makes its way up, and as we sing one song to close this service out, that's what we as a church family want more than anything in this moment right now. I'm telling you, we want you to come to Jesus and know the peace that we know. Know the hope that we know. Know the joy that we know. That we have a qualified Savior who got the job done and will get the rest of it done through eternity. He'll never let us go. Church, maybe you're here today and church family members, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you're here today and you haven't really learned anything new during this time, but maybe you've been reminded of just the beauty of your Savior. And maybe somebody's on your heart right now because because you know you know him. You've got him. You knew he was qualified before I started this message. You trust him. And every day you wake up and you know the joy and peace and hope that we have in him. But you know a family member, a friend. There's a coworker you're going to see first thing in the morning at the coffee maker. And you know they do not know him. And maybe this part of God's word has stirred your heart such that tomorrow morning you would say, you know what, I'm just going to stick it out there. I'm not going to ask how his weekend was. I'm going to just start talking about what we heard at church Sunday. You won't believe who Jesus is. And start telling the story of the gospel because you've seen how beautiful the Son of God and the Son of Adam is and that all that put together means we have a more than qualified Savior. If that's where you're at this morning as a member of of the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters, then would you lift that person up in prayer this morning? This altar will be open for you to come as we sing. Let's pray together.